people call me Tom fucking Stay Pat. Hello. Hello. How are you? Um, hey, how you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'll be right back, man. I'll be right back. Well, how the fuck did you two hook up, Matt? Is this okay? Right on. I'm in my kitchen. I got everything around me. This is good. This is good. I like the good, artwork good. on the wall. Thanks, man. Uh, that one there was a Christmas gift from my agent. Again, it's, uh, it's the lyrics of my favorite song. She tricked me, man. She, uh, she goes, she? what's your favorite song? And I thought I was recommending something fucking cool. And it turns out she just made me a fucking... Uh, really nice gift. Whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. I typed it on Word. And then I <laughs> went to the high street and got it framed. Hey, man, are you fucking with my agent, Safe, or what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been doing this podcast for, Safe? I didn't know, man. Well, I was going to launch a Twitch channel in November, but it turned out what? that the internet speed, upload speed here in Egypt is a tad too uh, shit. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I noticed that the video and audio quality of Zooms were pretty spot on. Okay. I started interviewing people like this. I interviewed an Egyptian comedian. Then I don't know if you ever met Benjamin Abonjo, President Abonjo, Laughter Republic. Oh, yeah, I totally have, man. Fucking, uh, he's, I like him a lot. He's, a, he's he wanted quite to join up with the commander. <laughs> uh, um, and then I got Jojo. Uh, she was around when you were celebrating your birthday, uh, birthday your daughter's birthday. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember that. That was a good party. Excuse me. Uh, everybody loves 20-year-old girls hanging around the house. <laughs> I, I believe Jeffrey Epstein says that's when they're too old. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where me and Jeffrey Epstein are. <laughs> <parties. laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> all uh, right man and then i had uh, another a psychiatrist comedian a comedian who's also works as a psychiatrist and just moonlights as a stand-up comedian okay. that's episode four and you are now number seven uh, i'm re-recording oh, wow. yeah, yeah i'm re-recording with patrick because we had an audio itch uh, issue do i sound very loud i just want to double no check. you're fa you're fabulous sir. you're fabulous man oh you're so sweet you make yeah, me I got. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scary image: a big bearded man telling me you make my nipples hard, like Kavaka. As long as it's not in a dungeon, it's fine with me, buddy. <laughs> the safety word is pineapple meringue pie. Perfect. Perfect. That's a mouthful to get we'll... out in that situation. Yeah, and That's I don't precisely what Mistress Domina says. My life. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we did all that. And you didn't even cry for help. What's the matter with you, man? <laughs> I just got banned. Uh, I got banned. I got a ban on Twitter for telling a joke, man. That was amazing. You, you and Trump got banned, but he's longer, so don't worry. Yeah, I got I got banned for the same twelve hours. 
I found out I'm in group nine of the vaccinations. <laughs> group nine? So, so I was like totally fine because now I can see if they inject the nanobots and hook up with the 5G and turn my grandmother into a winter soldier. Seriously, Twitter it, algorithms. That was a fucking yeah, good joke. It was a killer joke, man. But fucking, they, they I don't know. Those algorithms probably hooked on to nanobot, 5G, and vaccine. <laughs> All of a sudden, gone. You can make fun, but don't use those words. Don't use those <laughs> dangerous words. <laughs> the I remember words. when there were only seven <laughs> words you couldn't say. Freedom of speech is alive and well. Oh my God! You know, as long dude. as corporate America lets you talk, dude. I was on a Twitch stream earlier today, and it's a comedian from uh, in the Midlands. They were doing a morning stream, and they were going down the bunny hole of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And looking oh, yeah. at all the different ideas, the spin-off ideas that merchandising had, showing it on the websites, all the different toys. And then I was like, coming soon, Ku Klux Klan turtle. Just, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it just went, your comment has been censored and now it's been deleted. And even and I didn't realize if it was going to be deleted or not until Chris just goes, yeah, no, we, we don't say that word on the Twitch stream. And I was like, Wait, white people are telling a brown person not to say Ku Klux Klan? That was yep. my inner monologue. I was like, oh my God, those days have arrived. They have arrived safe, man. And it was a slow buildup, like everything the government does. They drip, drip, drip until all of a sudden the glass is full and you're done. It's crazy, man. It starts out with just fuck and shit. And then, it, and then all of a sudden they don't ban a word, they ban an idea. And then the next idea. So as soon as they banned the first one, the box was already open. And Miss Pandora came out and went, ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's me, Pandora. <laughs> You're in a lot of trouble. In my day, we used to be able to go into like AOL chat rooms and Yahoo chat rooms. And there was this one great, fantastic one. This was on the KKK still had their website before the, the hacktivists anonymous took it down for good. Speaking of which, did you know on the KKK's website, it was www.kkk.com, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> How do you spell it? KKK.com. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean, look at their target demographic. They couldn't make it much more complicated. I, I hate to tell people this, but there are people that are going to hate for no reason, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> my favorite right now is exactly what my mother said. She goes, oh, fantastic. Now we've driven them all underground, and we don't know what they're talking about anymore. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> now we know won't know where they're planning their attacks or anything. Good job, everybody. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Got a lot to say. <laughs> I love all the like we haven't even watched TV for a while. We've just been watching news all the day. It's like America's reality show is kicking in and this is going to be a great season finale. I sure did love the first episode. <laughs> Fucking first episode, Storm the Castle, starring Rudy Giuliani and the Queen on Shaman. <laughs> <What>? Dracarys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
everybody's going, no, it was totally random. Couldn't be a coup. What would America know about coups? I don't know. Check out Panama. <laughs> Check out Cuba. Cuba. Haiti. <laughs> Grenada. Like, they got really good Iran, at Iraq. other people. <laughs> I think they can do it to themselves probably the best. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, all of it. We were talking, all the governments, I can definitely put up to the nursery rhyme, the little boy that cried wolf, man. They've been lying so much for all these years. And now today they want us to believe them. What? <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. But yeah. you lied about all that other shit. No, this time we're telling the truth. All right, <laughs> I'll suck her in again. But you better not be lying this time. I've been practicing my Boris Johnson impression lately, and it goes like this. Look, it's called the Thanos Initiative. And basically, we want to wipe out half of you, and the other quarter of you will be cogs <laughs> in the machine, and then we can walk around Sainsbury's jacking off each other. <laughs> That's in his manifesto, dude. <laughs> it's not even I'm, wait, a joke. I'm, just... I'm so torn with him because I like him and I don't like him. Because he's, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because he's one of those weird ones that I really think he likes Britain a lot. And I know he's an elitist. That's for sure. But yeah. he's in one of the weirdest positions ever. He's damned if he does, and he's damned if he doesn't. If he doesn't do the lockdown, he's a murderous cunt. And if he does do the lockdown, he's a fascist dictator. <laughs> so it's not like he incites riots or anything. He just says stupid shit. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the most immaculately special episode of Safe of Candles, the show with no name. You've had a snippet of what it's like to be backstage in the green room if the green room still existed. Ooh. It will come back. With me is my lovely co-anchor, Julia Felix from Free Space. And she's a director of project management at Free Space International, a grassroots organization offering supportive services to artists worldwide. With me is the most epic Tom Stade. Just a quick brief of your bio for our listeners. He came over to the UK in 2001, endearing audiences with his very unique style of comedy. He has done multiple tours between being invited to every major stand-up TV show in Britain, including Live at the Apollo, Mock the Week, and multiple performances on Comedy Central's The Comedy Store. He's been a regular at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, as well as other comedy festivals around Britain. And his tour world... And the world, <laughs> apologies, with a brand new show every year since 2011, but he did his first fringe in 2006 or five. Oh, that, yeah. Okay. Yep. He was a regular act on set list, as well as various other film projects, including the independently funded and produced Muff. Yeah, man. A wildly imaginative satire about the anarchic TV production company. He has also entertained the troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. The Taliban were awesome. Sure, they were. Okay. I made a lot of money off those guys. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad, because was the sound good in the caves? Yeah, it was totally awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad, because when I performed, was a little... they had lousy, it was like a bit of a reverb echo thing. Made me sound like I was like a 52nd division outside and they got their guns out. It was all ugly. 
<laughs> is there anything else you'd like to add to your bio for our listeners? No, that that brag's good enough. <laughs> You're welcome, sir. It was a pleasure. Although I will say this, I got a WhatsApp call from an old friend from one of the very first TV shows I ever did it was called Club 54, where we did seven episodes way back in the 90s. And I just got a call that they've got a check for $200. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you replied it. like Tesco's, every bit helps. You betcha. <laughs> Here's my bank account number. You put that in there. That's going to keep me eating broccoli for about a month and a half. Are you gone vegetarian? As soon as I read that broccoli was cancer-fighting superfood, I've been eating it every day since probably about 98, maybe. Wow. And it's just, it's one of those things that I went, whatever I'm eating, I'm always putting broccoli with it. And everybody must... asks why I look so fucking good. It's called antioxidants <laughs> and vitamin D. <laughs> Fuck your oranges, man. Did you just say antioxidants and LSD? No, but uh, I, I, I did say antioxidants. I was thinking, wow, wouldn't that drive you insane, the LSD? But I suppose if you microdosed. Well, that's my favorite is drug safe is, is I always <laughs> love tripping out, man. The first time we dropped was with an old friend of mine, Jason. We didn't know. we. It's a classic a acid story, proper classic. This ain't working. Let's do a couple more. Next thing, I'm trapped in the bathroom for four and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> Too scared to go outside. Went to a 7-Eleven, couldn't walk in, hid in the bushes, or I thought I was hiding in the bushes. People just walking by going, hey, man, are you okay? Oh, my God, they can see me. <laughs> yeah, and from then, I was a fan. I was like, wow, that took me for a ride, man. And then that was a great summer because for about two weeks, we did it straight for two weeks. The acid loses its potency after about the third day. But we, we ended up partying on a place called Wreck Beach in Vancouver for two weeks. Just slept on the beach. I remember waking up. I thought I was partying with a bunch of really cool people. But it turns out they were all just homeless. So <laughs> sitting around on acid dancing with homeless people was such a, such a beautiful day. It was so cool, but everybody woke up. It was pretty grossed out, but nobody <laughs> we dropped another hit of acid and everybody. <laughs> where, are, where, where are we? Homeless street. Let's take more acid to forget where we are. Totally. It was so fun, but that's youth for you, man. Fuck, I couldn't do that now. I could do a hit of acid, but I'd rather be in a cabin with a hot tub in it. <laughs> oh, I think I want to fucking hang out with homeless people. <laughs> Little things. Yeah. Hot tub, blunt. Best two things you can have says you're rich. You don't need money. You just need a joint and a hot tub. And that's the feeling of being rich right there. Doesn't cost mm -hmm. that much money. Rich is pretty cheap if you want it to be. <laughs> You need people like me to say, that's the cool guy. He lived, <laughs> he got a J, he got a hot tub. He's going far, man. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, what is it that made you make that move from Canada to Britain and then later to eventually settle in Scotland? Okay. Well, I've told this story so many goddamn times. It's crazy. Okay, we'd just come back from Los Angeles, where I'd probably signed one of these things called a holding deal. I don't know if you guys remember those. 
when the studios used to just give out cash to keep you around, let you hang out in LA. And, and we, we almost got really super famous if it weren't for the shitty pilot season it was. So I came back to my cabin up in Minden and uh, Mr. Craig Campbell showed up in my cabin who was living over in the UK at the time. And, and uh, he said to me, Tom, you should, you should really come over to the UK. And at that time, my good gal, Trudy, is a British citizen because of her parents. Oh, nice. So, yeah, her it's parents came. Uh, Allah meant for it to happen. Yeah, man. It's like I know a lot of... <laughs> so, yeah, I came over for two weeks the first time. And I auditioned for the comedy store. I auditioned for jonglers and all that. By the time I gotten back, there was a fucking email of fucking just so many dates. Like in Canada, I don't know if you know much about Canada, but it's there's a lot of comedians and not a lot of clubs. And like there, there's one club. Yeah. which is a great place, yeah, but it just can't hold that many people yeah, that want to be comics, right? Yeah, that's the yuck yuck. And I know a lot of people like to bash them in that, but they were really good to me all the time. But we had an opportunity to get out. So me and Trude, we, we got all our little paperwork done and we moved over and we thought, okay, we'll go over there for about six months. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it was more an idea of a tour and then six months became a year and then things just kept happening over here kept going a lot of different tv shows kept coming up and we just ended up staying here because there was nothing really to go back to because canada can't compete with the uk comedy circuit it just can't and and i think also when i came over here the uk comedy circuit is from my experience of doing america and canada Mm. the uk just suits me man because number one the audiences are wicked i don't find there's the same amount of censorship over here if i can say that if you know my well you've been here safe so you know my Scottish, Irish, yeah, and these guys fucking, the more dangerous, the better, which suits me, the darker, the better for them, so yeah, and then we just ended up staying here, because when you move to a country, and you have that many people love you, you know, I don't really need to go anywhere else, one thing I don't have is comedy drive, like some people, like I enjoy doing comedy, but I don't, have the drive to become super famous like a lot of my friends do if it, if it gets too big it gets too hard i know that sounds <laughs> <laughs> no, i just like it soft and easy you know? <laughs> with a little yacht rock playing in the background that's my <laughs> my thing so that's it man and then the people over here love me and i have no inclination to leave them man they're they're my adopted family over here and and they took me in more than all the other countries did so i think it would be a slap in the face to my fans and all that if i fucked off to la and and tried to be something bigger than i probably am well i don't know if you know this about me but i actually did go to Canada and I found out the hard way myself about the difference between the British and the Canadian circuit and that's probably for another podcast because we don't want to focus on what happened to me in Canada. I think I flew into Montreal 
I arrived in Montreal. Flying out of Britain was a bit of a pain in the ass. And I didn't have like an air baggage guitar case that would withstand being in a whatever. They were like, you have to put it in the luggage and you have to pay extra for it. And they were very arsy. The seats were very cramped. I remember seeing ice. I felt like I was arriving in Hoth of like Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, like literally just sheets of ice. And I was just like, oh my God, it's true. <laughs> like, cause I'm Arab. I've seen snow occasionally in Britain, but this was like, I literally thought I was going to see, you know, I thought I was going to see like Harrison, like Han Solo or like just a Mountie riding a Tauntaun across the Canadian, you know, like, yeah, hey, yeah. You know, we decided to get Tauntauns cause they handle the cold day eh? and they're you faster bet, than eh? horse. <laughs> yeah. They're faster than horse. And you get one of them, you get one of them Tauntauns up in British Columbia. Hey, you'll be like uh, skiing up there. It'll be like, you know, Toronto Maple Leaf on the ice around the goalie. Eh? Yeah, you don't want to get on the 401 without a Tauntaun, man, or you'll totally get stuck there, eh? Like they got. <laughs> and you know, the coffee at Tim Hortons makes the Tauntaun ride a lot more pleasant in the morning. <laughs> yeah, Tim Hortons. <laughs> They're not Canadian anymore. I got a Tim Hortons just down the road from me, man. Uh, awesome. th th dude, there's a Tim Hortons in Dubai. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I go, that's where me and Trude eat lunch all the time when we go and, and do the gigs over there, man. We can Google it. I'm sure uh, Julia can Google this. Google uh, Tim Hortons if there's one in Cairo, because I think. Oh there yeah, there might be, it's, man. They they all of a sudden they went from Canada to worldwide. From local to global, eh? Yeah, eh? Double double, <laughs> eh? And you don't need no toonies or loonies, eh? Yeah, get toonies and loonies. That's how ridiculous our country is. Like That's how much I know. Money is I offensive to people over here. <laughs> but I know that a toonie is like something that's two dollars, and a loony is something it's that's one dollar. One dollar. <laughs> yeah, a loony and a right, toonie. Eh? Hilarious, man. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> try and, and say that in England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, need exactly. a, I need a loony for the bus. Well, there's plenty of them around. Hi, <laughs> mate. There's or, plenty or, of them around, mate. Yeah, and if you're in London and someone says, what you want? I'm looking to get some fine poutine, eh? Uh, look, mate, you got to sell how you find all the poutine you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> red yeah, Light District, they've got all kinds of poutine. They've got red poutine, yellow poutine. Black poutine, blonde Black poutine. poutine, you like it, whatever, you know, masks, zippers, whips, chains, <laughs> something in a box. <laughs> I'm not judging, mate. <laughs> We don't judge, you mate. Do You're in you Britain, do, mate. mate. You're in Britain. Britain, mate. Everything's here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, God, my. No, we would totally. I, you know what's a fun fact about myself, Tom, is that out of all the national anthems, like I'm half Egyptian, half Iraqi, I do not know the melody or the lyrics of the Iraqi. That's the worst anthem. two passports you can hold. <laughs> hey, I one of them doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> Well, it expires next year, I think. I'd have to double check. I think it expires in 20. I'm hoping to move back by the end of this year. So hopefully I'll avoid the... Uh, Your passport yeah. is expired. Send it to France. Because <laughs> <laughs> listeners may not know this, but if you're in the 
living in the Middle East or certain other countries and you want to renew your British passport, like I live in Egypt, and if I want to renew my British passport and I'm doing it by mail, I have to DHL it or FedEx it to some place in France. Yeah. <laughs> the world's the world's gotten pretty fucked up, man. But I don't know if that's going to still apply after Brexit. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, uh, I do love poutine. That's my favorite. And the kebabs I had in Hamilton. They were fucking awesome. They're, they're the best tasting heart attack you're ever going to have. Oh, fuck yeah. And all the heroin addicts in Hamilton, eh? You've uh, been to Hamilton. That's where we... I used to own a house in Hamilton, man. Yeah, no, I stayed at the YMCA Steel in Hamilton. Not by choice, but by circumstance. I think I became the first Arab to need to flee Canada and not for illegal reasons, just because the guy who had promised to... I'm going to make you a stop. Yeah, fucking shit happens, say. Shit nothing, happens. Nothing's guaranteed, you know, make, a, make a Nutella donut out of it. Just, you know, hold your nose and eat it. Tell yourself it's Nutella. But, like... That's the matter. That's what I learned going to Canada. But it was funny as fuck. It's like it's. I could do it as a routine when fringe returns back to normal. Um, yeah. Yeah, whenever that comes back. Please. Initiating a toad on the high street and on the way. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I can't wait. And they'll get that one-eyed guy. Like we're looking, we're looking for a person with one eye, and we want you to take off your eye patch and just sort of stand on the Royal Mile and demand a toll. And if anyone gives you any problems, there'll be two Highland Guards next to you with sabers and bayonets on the right, but no, they bother. You stand there and go, have you got the toll for the high street? <laughs> That's actually a really good Scottish accent. Safe, not bad. I can't do it. I've lived in Scotland now for a little while and I still can't get their accent. I got the English one okay. I got a couple of dialects, but the Scottish one and the tongue rolling shit is I don't have it man I don't have it I'm assuming Scottish yeah. people can lick pussy pretty good with that kind of tongue can I say that you can say yeah, that I mean, you I can, can say roll that. your tongue using the word the I think you're going to be pretty good at eat pussy Tom if you want to learn how to roll your R's so well I it helps to be a cunning linguist and a lingering cunningist you know, if you ain't got it in the hips, you better have it in the lip. <laughs> and secondly, if I can be so bold as to say on my own podcast, which I don't censor myself at all, it's like, no bother, pal. Don't worry about that. Shite. You'll be fine. You just roll your tongues is you need to speak Arabic. That's, oh, yeah, the Arabic would be able. Oh, they'd be totally compatible. For sure, man. Why do you think sure. Arabic is so good? I got to get giving, a Scottish uh, guy on here talking like he's the... King of Brunei. <laughs> He'll have his accent down. Old Angus. Oh, Angus. Do an impression of the Saudi kingdom. <laughs> I remember when we went over there, man. You know how here we got billboards of phone companies? Anytime I go to the United Arab, it's always just billboards of the dude. If you don't know who the guy is, just look up. Are you talking about the guy with the, the beard in every hotel, every lobby, oh, yeah, every building? Yeah. Sometimes on the backs of cars as a decal. Um, oh, yeah. They're, they're pretty powerful over there, Safe, man. I, I remember 
we were there one of my very first trips to Dubai. It was it Dubai or whatever. We were going to all the little, you know, there was Islands. Abu Dhabi and I can't remember the other ones. Sharjah, but we were in this yeah. one restaurant and that's when I realized how powerful those families are, man, because I think it was with Johnny Fothergale and we were in a restaurant and found out the guy that came in was a cousin of the king or whatever the fuck it was. He came in, but he was with, I'm going to say Russian hookers. Could have been his girlfriend, but I'm going to suspect it was a lot of Russian hookers. And a dude took a picture of him with the fucking girls. And I've never seen anyone bum rushed out of a fucking restaurant faster in my life. I'm pretty sure... I don't know who that dude was, but I'm pretty sure his body's buried in a desert somewhere, man. And I was like going, okay, check, please. I don't want to look at this guy wrong. I don't want to make <laughs> eye contact with him. I don't want his, anything to do. Bye. No, the spaghetti was great. I'm out. Thanks, bud. Cheers. Not my country. See you around. Hey, you, you nope. guys have a good time, man. I didn't see nothing. I didn't see nothing, man. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, you know, exactly. Live free, die young, leave a yep. pretty corpse. <laughs> <laughs> so question for you, Tom, for me. Setlist is pretty much a fusion of improv as well as a comedian's unique style. Can you weigh in on the role that improvisation plays in stand-up comedy as well as how it affects the evolution of a comedian's activities when dealing with the multiple curveballs one faces? Well, not a lot of people know this, but I was mm. probably one of the first people to ever do set lists before it came became set lists because that was with Paul Provenza and Conrad. Troy Conrad. Yeah, Troy Conrad. And I was, I know this is going to sound egotistical, but I was the one that convinced most of the other comedians to do it. Was that 2011? Yeah, oh God, yeah, don't ask me for dates. But when it first came around, a lot of the comedians didn't want to do it. But I had such a blast doing it. I ended up telling everybody to go and check it out, man. And all of a sudden, everybody loved fucking, they loved it. Because it shows your strengths and your weaknesses. It exposes you. For me, you'll know this safe. You know, I've got my jokes, but I really just call them the skeleton because uh, a lot of people call it crowd work. I just, I like telling a joke and then fucking asking what this guy thinks of it or whatever comes around. And the reason that's, to me, important to have that improv aspect to any show, and, and this is just me personally, because every time I try and talk about comedy, everybody has their own ideas of what comedy is i mean me and a guy like ivo graham funny funny dude but he doesn't do it the same way as i do but for me the reason the improv's so good is because it keeps you in the room it doesn't turn it into just a monologue comedy which again is fine because people work really hard on their jokes and they like a good rhythm and and once they get into that rhythm all the stuff that they wrote is absolutely fabulous and there's an aspect to that too that also keeps them in the room if the audience is really hot with them all of a sudden mm. his material every joke just gets better and better and better but for me it breaks up that monotony of me telling it over and over and over so it feels like i've rehearsed a play instead of actually being a funny 
person beyond your joke. And even if you do, the funny part is, like, it's scary because most comedians don't want to have a lull in their show or all that sort of stuff. But once you do it enough times, for me, for me, only me, I find that even when a joke sucks because you've gone off script, you can make that funny you took a, a wrong turn somewhere and you're in this little cul-de-sac of comedy, but within that little cul-de-sac, you can be self-deprecating, can really make fun of yourself. And it's an opportunity to let the audience know that you don't take yourself as seriously as most comedians do, you know? That's what it is for me. And the reason Setlist is so good is because it does. You don't even have your skeleton of your show to prove that you're funny. And to sit there and, and think of shit right on the spot with whatever this part, like shark funerals or whatever it is. Um, C-M-B-E-T-T-S. Yeah. It's an well, acronym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and you come up with like what that acronym means. Be exactly. like, and that's why I ingest Weetabix. <laughs> but, but watch this, even with set list. As Setlist went on, when it first started, there weren't any rules to it. As more people do it, they started making up rules for this game. Like you don't say the punchline right off the bat. You talk about something else fucking to give you time to think about how you're going to fucking fit this in. Most people, when they first started, they'd see the whatever it is and just go right immediately into it. But as yeah. time went on, people learned and adapted to realize that you don't want to immediately say whatever the set list words are. And, and there was a whole bunch of little things like that. So in a way, what was pure jazz, I guess I could call it that, what was pure jazz improv comedy all of a sudden started taking on these rules because people got scared that they wouldn't do good. And that was one of the fun parts about it because even if you die on set list it doesn't mean that you're not funny you're obviously uh, funny when you come onto the stage you will find there will be a tv screen to the right of you and to the left of you stage left and stage right the audience will be in front Jackie pay attention now there will be a word now the safety word for when you're running out of material should be one that will be agreed with you and the sound engineer <laughs> when you are then, and then you should my safety word closer. is good night, folks. <laughs> Thank safety you word could be this. anything from fluffy bunny bunny to good night, folks. Um, <laughs> and do you uh, know where the first set list was done? By the way, was it? I thought it was in. I thought it was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2011, or was it before that? It was, but the very first set list performance, from what I can remember was in the basement of the Tron. And it was the same, I think it was the same year that we also, it was also, no, maybe Eddie Pepitone came the next one, but. I remember, uh, what's his name? I just had it, uh, I just had it in my head, Uh, Ron. Ron Vodrick. No. uh, Oh, Ron, oh. uh, Rick Overton. Rick Overton, yes. Yes. I went in, not in the middle, not at the beginning, but somewhere around just before Rick Overton. And I kind of got the idea. It was just my first time. And they just said, just go. And, you know, Babs was telling me, just go with it. And Paul was like, just go with it. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. And like Troy, he'd like, that was the first time he'd met me because I'd met Paul and Babs in 2006 or 2005. I can't remember. When they were with Calvin. It was Calvin. (laughs) Yeah. 
he was he was actually a really good producer of shows, man. I really enjoyed Calvin's company. He was good, and I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Calvin, anyways. I don't know if you know this, uh, Tom, but uh, back in the day, 2014, uh, I was working with Troy Codwad and Babs Welbed. Yeah. Where we were presenting Set West to Kaiwell. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, we did the first, I think, two shows back into normal act. And I don't think the footage was shared. But like, it was not me that had the footage. It was the other person that ran the company. Uh, Hisville comedy. Did you anyway. say Hisville comedy? <laughs> Lesbian. Those two words comedy. allowed yes. to be together. That's There's weird. lesbian comedy in Cairo. Yes, I. But oh, it happens only in private Hale- affairs. I thought you said Hisville or whatever that terrorist group. <laughs> <laughs> not Hezbollah. No. no, not Hezbollah. That was so funny the way we grew up that supermarket, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's an Egyptian uh, company in stand-up comedy called El Hizb, El Comedy. Okay. And I was with that company in 2014 in the Fringe when we were doing the show Falafel, Hummus, and Baba Ganoush. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it was a daytime show. It was like, you know, that was the dead zone. But we were at the same venue. They said was. my son was working the door when you guys were doing that, I think. He was doing the door, and he would now and then fly here for us out of the kindness of his heart. Yes, he was, <laughs> and he was an awesome flyer. He did stand outside, and Hashim would wear the fez. He would let Mason wear the fez, I do believe. <laughs> <laughs> Mason was a great. He was. He never flyered for me, though. He flyered for everybody else, but he never flyered for his dad. Oh, no, he, he did a couple of times, actually. That's not true. That's not true. He did a couple of times, I think. I was about to say, I can't attest because i'm not omnipotent not all muslims are they do not know all (laughs) (laughs) muslim are you muslim safe is that what i just heard you i don't see you as a practicing muslim safe i just you're about as muslim as i am catholic i just say it to get through checkpoints and shit (laughs) oh you are catholic or you're not catholic no i'm not of that bullshit (laughs) That's no, as in were you ra- no, but like this is not in the questions, but were you raised Catholic or no, my mom, my mom, oh God, I haven't told this story. my mom, my mom was uh, raised uh, Catholic, and they were just they were horrible to her, like fucking horrible because she had a kid out of wedlock back in the sixties. And and then she and her dad was really on it, and it just turned her right off, man. And so when she had us, she never let the church anywhere near us, man. They were like they they would come, and she would pretty much tell them to go fuck themselves, man. Like because that was one of the reasons she had to give my brother up for adoption. I've never met. Thanks, church. You guys are so forgiving. <laughs> That's what Jesus would have what done. What good Christian. Look at Christian people. Shut up. <laughs> read their little fairy book stories, all of them. All of them. Like there, there's a certain inherent morality that people have that you should focus in on instead of, well, you know that. That's too serious. Fuck it. Fuck them. Fuck them all. <laughs> <laughs> I would much prefer a bit of romance, you know, no fucking please, you know, a little bit of flowers, uh, oh, bit, yeah, you know, man. the music, you know, maybe get drunk and see where we goes, but like, no, no fucking please, uh, you please. Know, I'm, I'm a romantic. <laughs>
Yeah, Matt. So <laughs> Julia, yeah. next question. Hit it. <laughs> Majority of the material I have been lucky to see is often rated R, 18 for UK and for Scottish listeners. Have you ever done family shows? The only time I, let's just call it clean it up, because I, I, I am Mr. Fuck. Okay, like I, that word just because I grew up, it's part of my language, you know, like, uh, like people call me Tom fucking state, man. And there's a good reason for it. And it's just because I grew up in such a small town that that's just how we talked. And to this day, it just stayed with me. But the only time I ever clean it up is just for TV and all of that sort of stuff. Any, anytime there's a show, because it's that question of if you come to see me, I can do whatever I want. But mm. if I'm going into your living rooms, I'm kind <laughs> of invading you. Yeah. So I, I have enough respect for the audience to know that maybe there's somebody's grandmother out there that doesn't want to hear cunt fucking jokes, you know, like <laughs> not, not that I have too many cunt fucking but i just just one or two uh, as you do (laughs) so you're basically saying on television you're mr tom stayed off television you're mr tom bring to the stage mr tom fucking stayed that's it baby and the reason and i'll tell you the reason is because the people that i hang around with that's how they talk like when you're getting drunk with people and smoking joints and having a good time like that's just their speed of their speech right and fuck always comes out the fuck are you what the fuck you doing man how's shit fucking going and it's just i mean i even saw yesterday weirdly enough i saw nicholas cage on netflix doing a history of swear words which really started have you watched any of it i I watched the first one with fuck i found it really interesting because because to me unless you're i hate to say this an educated elitist most people on the ground level love the word fuck Fuck and it it just it's just such a nice great word yeah it's it's cannot say (laughs) (laughs) dude that's exactly And and the pro the funny part is is it's very Lenny Bruce that word to me because in my shows you say it enough you don't even hear it anymore. If you come to the show for the first time, the first thing you'll pick up on me is you'll go, "You sure did swear a lot," but by the third or fourth time you come and see Tom stayed, you can't even see it anymore, and that's where my base <laughs> they come to see that sort of shit, right? It's just one of those things that's just sort of ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. So I don't really do family shows, but to answer your question, cool families do come to see me. Yeah. Like I've had yeah. 14-year-olds in the front row because their mom is progressive enough or their dad is progressive enough to, for the kid to know that this is a comedy show. And it's yeah. the same way as my dad used to let me listen to Richard Pryor, George Carlin, all your bog standard fucking legends that the new generation seems to have forgotten about. I feel and personally attacked. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. To me, they're lost heroes, you know? 
that that well i think there's something to be said for how it's used as well and i don't mean contextually how it's used i mean like it with syntax how it's used one thing that i've noticed talking with my uk friends and us friends they have different ways of using the word fuck and even like myself there's a lot more emphasis to the usage of the word and so it's more yeah. disruptive and more vulgar than just like the casual flow of well, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah, and you don't you don't ever want to use it as a punchline or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? It's just my fucking little comma points and whatever the fuck I'm saying. Other than that, it's just one of those things that you grew up with that turned out to be actually really good for me because again, yeah. I'm not I'm not super trying to be famous. I'm not trying to do any of that shit, man. I'm just doing my thing and if people show up, they show up and the day that they all don't show up is the day I put a fucking bullet in my head. So because it's over. <laughs> Basically, How did John yes. die? I feel like there's a middle ground there. His last show, he walked out and fucking initiated his retirement plan. <laughs> he told us. <laughs> and that's gonna he's gonna get he's gonna be able to live off that for the rest of his undead life i remember my first fringe in 2005 back when i used to do my comedy dressed as a bearded nun that might Ooh, also i remember have... that actually safe mm -hmm. i do remember that yeah you're one of the very lucky few <laughs> just not any better I can remember, or there are pictures on Instagram, but anyway, this guy had come in with his two kids and I can't remember the material I was doing, but it was, I think it was like the difference in violence in video games, like in the way they get game certifications. It was just like yeah. a joke about that subject. Before I had done the material, I turned around and said to the father, wait, you're letting your, you know, you're, I am not like a. I'm not a Disney comedian, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just giving you like a parental advisory, explicit lyrics, warning, you know, I just feel, and he was like, oh, it's not, bother, we're Scottish, you know, okay, fair enough. And I started doing my material and I, like, when I would see the kids laughing more energetically and I, it, it felt like this real cool magic when they're like those forward thinking parents, because like my parents, eh, we couldn't swear, but we could tell dark jokes. That right. was the interesting trade-off. Like my mother and father were both responsible in telling me dark jokes, but never jokes that involved like, you know, swearing, uh, except my mom. She had this really dark, ever so racist <laughs> joke <laughs> where shit was one of the, was, was in there, but no fuck, uh, no cunt. No fuck, no fuck, no cunt. bagging, yeah. no motherfucker. If I had hippie, I had little hippy dippy mom and party ass dad, so everything was fair game in our place. So every time I hear somebody growing up repressed like that, I feel like I should go, I'm sorry to hear that, Safe. I feel like I grew up under a rock. It wasn't repressive at all, but my parents were just very boring. Yeah, they're, very, they're, just, they're just super very boring nine to five standard. And I just was exposed to nothing. But like, yeah. they didn't keep me from anything. They just never showed me. That was right. Arizona, right? What, uh, no, I would say that was growing up in Pittsburgh. When I started to get into my teen years, my dad, a little bit more open and a little bit more sharing. But they never engaged. Like my parents, my parents were older. 
when I was growing up. A lot of, you know, you know what, Julia, a lot of people who have kids, they don't really know what to do, man, because they're caught between, they want to be their friends, but they also have to raise these little fuckers. And then a lot of people don't have that aspiration. A lot of people just have an aspiration to get a good job and, and make sure that their kids are fed and they went to school and hopefully that they do something better than they did. You know what I mean? So I get well, that. I get that. Yeah. And what I'll say they did do really well, though, is that it wasn't like they ever tried to keep anything from me, but they were like, we're not your friends. I work all day. I come home. I don't want to entertain you all night. I'm going to see you this weekend for 72 hours straight. And so they were like, go entertain yourself. Go find what you like. Go figure that out. That was, I think, way more helpful than the alternative yeah. influence. I remember the first time me and my dad smoked hash together. We were riding a bike. I think I was about 14 or 15. And, and uh, we were in Vancouver and we were laughing. We just drank. We were drinking in the park. This is my dad. <laughs> How old, old were you? About 15. I think I was just oh. going on 16. And uh, and he had some. He we were laughing so hard, and he said, "Do you smoke weed, Tom?" And I was I was like, "Oh yeah," because I'm very honest with him, man. I mean, Quinell, like we started drinking when I was like 13, 12, fuck, whatever it was, man. Whatever grade eight smoking was. when? Yeah. Oh God, yeah, easy, man. We went to massive bush parties, two hundred people, fucking everybody getting high, fighting and fucking all that shit. And uh, yeah, so we were we were in the beach, and we had this. We found this bicycle that we took, and uh, then we he he goes, Tom, I got a little bit of ash. Do you want to smoke it? You don't smoke this shit, do you? And I was like, Oh fuck yeah! Because also also he was a hero of mine. Do you know what I mean? So your hero, I got to smoke drugs with Superman. Are you fucking kidding me, man? And and it was one of the it, it just. It was such a good moment for me because it was sort of like this guy's leading me, but he's also treating me as an equal. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. even though we're not equal, he's so, totally superior to me. But and and I've done that the same thing with my family, too. Do you know what I mean? I don't judge. I do. I I'm do just kind of here if you need me would be his thing. You know what I mean? Where whereas my mom was a little more hands on, but not that much. You know, like we used to sneak out of the house. I've never been grounded. I've never been any of that shit. And I don't think I've ever been spanked or hit or none of it, man. I was pretty much a free roaming kid. You were very naughty. Take this joint, go smoke in your room, and think about what you did wrong. Yeah, man. <laughs> My mom, okay. we had two massive house parties where my mom just helped all the drunk kids fucking get sober. Like all the kids in the town loved Jad stayed because we had a big party. There was about maybe a hundred. You'll, you'll know this, Julie. I don't know if they have this in the States, but big house parties and all that. Yeah. We also and, have and, those in Egypt, by the way. Yeah, but uh, fucking like proper 120 cops showing up. Nothing they can do about it shit, man. Yeah. Not only that cops happens. showing up, everybody <laughs> in the town knew who the cop was and went, you know, they don't go officer, they go, fuck you, Jason. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, just All right, you, you have, you bed, have, you have one you, over Go us. home, Brian. Go home, Brian. My favorite one was, your wife's in the living room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck off, man. I mean, you can't really do that anymore, but back then you could, and 
Like we we does had, mom like, know you're out? Yeah, mom, mom no. Like I needed to tell her. I'll call her if I need a ride home. No, that's what you're telling <laughs> yeah. the cop. That's what you'd be telling the cop. Oh, yeah. Like does mom know you're out again? <laughs> oh, yeah, Jay. Pretending to be deputy. It's hilarious. And then all they do, okay, keep it down. And they're like, fuck, when we're at a bar, I'm going to kick the fuck out of you. Like, <laughs> they used to beat the shit out of, like, oh, God. The town I grew up in, you'll love this, man. The town I grew up with was called Quinell, British Columbia. Mm. And at that time, I think it was about, I want to say probably around 86, man, maybe mm. 85. Uh, Canada's police uh, changed because the first seat cop showed up. The wore the turban and everything. So he, because it was part of his religion, he didn't have to wear the normal Mountie hat. He wore the turban. And they sent him to my hometown. We were the first people. So like when, when it was, and it was a big uproar too. Thank God there was no social media back then because Facebook would have blew up on this isn't allowed. He's not allowed to change the uniforms. He's not allowed to. He's if he wants to be a cop, he's got to wear the thing. But he was the they first. Took our guy. hats. Yeah, <laughs> he was the first guy, and I hate to say it, man. That dude got in a lot of fights with those rednecks, man. But he was a. a but it was really funny because he won the town over, man. He took all the town's bullshit, and then actually turned out to be a really great guy, man. So there's unsung heroes like that that fought battles that nobody really knows about, man. Quinell was really interesting because it had a massive Sikh population in that oh, wow. early time. You can go to Quinell, you can Google it. It's got a Sikh temple there, which right in the middle of hillbilly fucking hell was pretty ballsy, man, I'll tell you that. But hmm. uh, my next-door neighbor were Sikh, and I didn't know you could tell. I did, Like, I always thought, like, because when you're from small town, you, it's the same way as me trying to figure out what region you're from by your accent and all that sort of shit. If you were to come to the state, if you were to come from the states, people in the states know where you're from by how you talk, right? Right. But with the Sikhs, if there's a winder behind it, like if you're a Tarwinder, Colwinder, or Belbeer, Shokar is a big name, and it's it's all in their their name. So I can tell sometimes if a guy that's kind of Indian looking I can tell if he's Sikh or Hindu by his name man which is which was always kind of interesting thing to learn in such a hillbilly town <laughs> that, that I didn't know it was going to have any use for me until I went over to India man oh that's beautiful yeah man it's crazy you and I have spoken I don't know why I keep doing the Scottish I gotta help it <laughs> I gotta help it they're surrounded by right ball bags, left, right, and center. <laughs> such a good accent. I would totally keep that. Walk around talking right. like that in fucking Egypt, man. That would be great. Everybody would right, Larry. <laughs> you know, actually, I do sometimes do the foreigner, like when I take an Uber late at night. Either I'll be like, you know, I yeah, I'm here from Berlin. Uh, how, <laughs> you know, the ladies here you have, how you say, I say they are Magnuna, which means crazy in Arabic. 
<laughs> I do like the Jason Bourne where like I don't speak your language I'm not from your country just to sort of sometimes messing with them a little bit of making sure they're not a serial killer would be like when they speak in Arabic and they'll be saying which means like baby I found a fat one we're gonna eat like kings tonight <laughs> You know, like, I just do that to make sure they're never going to be like, I had a fat comedian in my car once. He's buried in the sand with the photographer now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do a callback. (laughs) Don't do a callback. Um, It's whatever to us. It might not be whatever to him. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Safe living in such a free society. It's amazing. He can say whatever he wants. Anytime one of one of your political parties is called the Brotherhood of something, you know something's fucking up, man. The first thing that comes to my head when you hear Brotherhood is, "Welcome to the Brotherhood." Yeah. Jebediah is going to take you on around the back, get you acquainted <laughs> with the firearms. There was no superhero group started off with the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood was always villains, man. <laughs> always villains in comic books, man. Yeah. Oh, God, that was a good fringe 2011. Like, the last time you and I spoke, Tommy Boy, you said it's not so much a lockdown as it is a family vacation host. And knowing yep. that live entertainment will resume some semblance of normality by 2023, are you thinking about pursuing other ventures? Not at all. Not at all. No, I don't know how to do anything else. I couldn't even fucking pour you coffee. I, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm so out of touch. You know what's funny? Even if I wanted, even if you wanted to change, most people... Most comedians, I bet you don't even know how to hand in a resume anymore. I remember when I did work and all that shit, I would have a resume that you would walk into the store and hand it in. Now it's all apps and all that shit. So how would you even get a real job? If if this shit doesn't get back to normal soon, you know what my next job is going to be? Dancing in front of for a potatoes with homeless people. I'm going to become <laughs> one of those homeless people that dances with cool people. <laughs> like, oh. Speaking of dancing. Man, that's it. Unless it's like a driving job. But then, you know, the problem with that is, is if you're a kind of a successful comedian, your income is up here. I mean, after 30 years, my income is up here. So even if I got a real fucking job, I'm still dead anyways, because it wouldn't make enough. I'm going to lose everything. Uh, eventually, I'm, I'm, I'm already reserved to that point. It was a great vacation, but we've lost everything. <laughs> everything I've worked for, my, my savings, like, like we're down to the point going, Uh, If it keeps going past June, we'll just sell the house and get a shitload more money and rent and ride this thing out until we can actually get back on stage, man. But it's sort of like anything else. What would you do, Safe? What would you actually do? Because you can't do anything because the only thing you've ever learned your whole life is, is making people laugh and giving them a good fucking time. 
and you can't there's there's no job like it and and there's no job that pays like it what am i gonna and i know whatever job i'm gonna get it isn't gonna be the head of a fucking company say it's gonna be in a fucking store somewhere where i'm gonna be fucking told what to do by a fucking boss and i'm gonna tell him to go fuck off (laughs) so we're kind of fucked really well, Tom, I tell you what, when I move my when I move my funky self back to the UK and I'm living in Scotland, we shall start Ronan comedy together. Sure, why not, man? Let's do it. Yeah, it's something I I started it, it was like a booking and getting paid well, like not the best pay, but they've had to do a 100% markup on the prices, so like a ticket before covid cost 100 Egyptian pounds. Is yeah. now costing two hundred Egyptian pounds, but it's at half capacity because of social distancing. Wow, man! Well, at least you'll know who the rich people are. You're not dealing with fucking just stragglers coming but off that, the street anymore. No, but that's well. That's the interesting juxtaposition is that the economic structure and setup in the Middle East is if you were to turn around and say to your mom and dad, I want to be a comedian, they'll be like, what? (laughs) You know, get a degree, get a job, then you can do this comedy on the weekends. That's the general mental approach of most of the families here. So a lot of the comedians on my circuit, one of them I know is a dentist. He was actually episode one. Another comedian's a neurosurgeon. Another comedian is a radiologist. So they've all gotten jobs where they can afford to do a comedy gig. This is the thing. Seven comedians will appear on that night, but the money that is spread among the comedians is not for the pay. Like a lot of the comedians here, no, they don't do it so much for the pay, but they're doing it for the love of comedy. That's so, amazing. Sid. Those guys, at least those guys can ride it out. They're riding those it Those guys out. did it right. <laughs> they got it. They, yeah, well, they no, actually, I, before. well, that's the thing. I used to be a teacher and I myself, I tried to get back into teaching, but it was around the time, you know, Lost Mother, <laughs> which we won't go into in this podcast. They've heard it enough in other episodes. Not every episode. I lost my mom. No, no, Mother. <laughs> I was not Bambi in the woods, but I am experimenting with humor around it, like the whole issue. Because when you said you're, you when to. you said you smoked your first J with your dad. No, I said the first time I smoked with yeah. my dad. My first joint wasn't with my dad. No, okay. No way. Because like, <laughs> That's a little too far. But, yeah, no, no. But for me, the first and only time I smoked a joint with my dad was maybe around three, four weeks before he actually passed away. It was kind mm. of trippy. The whole back and forth conversation, like before the incident and the several days beforehand, it was, it's a very heart warming you you know sometimes you can i smoked with him i'll never forget what led up to it was i came back after hot boxing with a friend and he was oh you smell really good and i was like yeah you know and then i came back with the finger of hashish ironically it was hashish as well so we both smoked hash with our with our fathers i'd rolled the j two nights prior and like i was smoking it by the window and then on the night in quest we were sitting apart and i knew he'd smoked in the 50s when he was a student there's rumors that i think the president said that was a stoner yeah people used to say what do you think was in his pipe <laughs> of course but it was couldn't tell in those black and white photos i hope i don't get in trouble for that it's true though He's dead. He's fine with it. <laughs> yeah, man. Fucking, you can open that case up. It's okay. All the parties involved are dead. It's all good. <laughs> Finally. Oh, that's harsh, but funny. It's great, man. 
So your yeah, your dad? What? We were sitting apart, facing each other by the window, and I'm smoking. And he, in Arabic, says, Hat nafas, which means, like, give me a drag. And I turned around and said, Dad, the joint, the mish, tobacco. And I was telling him, it's like a J, it's not tobacco. And he goes, an Arab. I was like, which means I want to change the taste in my mouth. Yeah. So I was like, okay, fair enough. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> what an <anyway>. excuse. <laughs> well, to be fair, what you don't know at this point is he'd been diagnosed in 2013 with prostate cancer. That's and... the way my dad went, see? Yeah. You're fucking kidding. Nope. Whoa. Nope. We, we partied our faces off in the last week. He was taking his final journey. So we wanted to party. So we, we had a ball with him, man. I hate to say it. That's really sad, safe, but fucking that's the way my dad went too, man. Uh, it's not sad on the contrary. Not, no. Not only the conversation I had with him verbatim because he switched it into English for my smoking... I feel like suddenly it unlocked the Pandora's box of his bilingual abilities. And suddenly after a couple of drags, yeah, he just suddenly goes, you know, what is the key to life? And I was like, I don't know, job security, pass the jail, you're hot. And then he passes me the joint and he goes, no, female sexual satisfaction. Oh, wow. This is an 81-year-old man had just had a joint after maybe, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years. And then the following sentence was even more of a bigger head fuck. He goes, bloody bastards. He's not Scottish. And I was like, who, dad? And he goes, cutting off those women's clitorises so they can't experience an orgasm. And I was like, dad, first of all, ew. Second of all, way to go to ruin my high. Can we just like get back to like, as, 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 let's talk about something else <laughs> other than. Yeah, man. But like, uh, I do know that he used to smoke up back in the day when he was at university. And uh, I'd found out it was actually a very fun story the way I found out about him smoking up. Because, like, as a Muslim growing up in an Arabic house, which you doubt for some odd reason you think i might be like i don't know like you know some no i believe that manchurian manchurian candidate like you know from brooklyn i'm from brooklyn actually i just you know they surgically altered me to make me look more you know like one of them i have no doubts you grew up in a muslim house safe i have no doubts but what i'm saying is you personally from the person that i met are you are you're like you're a Muslim only because you grew up around that, but you Wait. personally, I don't remember you going to the what is it, the mosque? Yeah, well, I don't remember you going. Tom, just hold that. I've got a prayer mat. It's time. I've got a fucking. I don't He's ever remember you stopping a party to really get into your faith. Well, Mr. Fucking <laughs> Said. Am I wrong? Well, you are. Well, for starters, in 2014, when I was there, I would pray Friday prayer at the mosques as the one that's around the corner from the mosque kitchen. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... Hey, like, these are was, things that I may have gotten wrong, man. Totally. Not saying that I'm right, but... <laughs> you, if, no, if we no, 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 no. Like, game, we would have got that one way wrong. Look, if it makes you feel better, Tom, 
I learned a very charming expression from my older brother around the time we were both in London saying bye to mom. And then he suddenly said the phrase, oh, my infidel days. And I went, we are what? And he said, my infidel days. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, you know, the days when I drank beer and stuff. <laughs> you know, <Stop>. I, <laughs> no, because like the thing is in Islam, you don't really try to brag about your sins. Like actually, ironically, in 2004, I had this little heart to heart with mom because I was at university and I decreed massive bad spending habits. My mom was like, did you, are you being blackmailed? And I was like, no, mom, no, 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 I'm not being blackmailed. The fact that she thought the first go-to for my bad money expenses was some guy was like, yeah, if you don't give me an envelope with money, I'll be sending this envelope <laughs> with these pictures of you at a pub <laughs> and a club <laughs> and naked in the bed with your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, no, mother, I did not. I, I am not being blackmailed. And then she, the second follow-up question to that was, uh, are you, did you get someone pregnant? And I was like, you know, I was like, no, mom, I did not get somebody pregnant. And then I started doing the whole, you know, bless me, father, for I have sinned. But in her case, bless me, mother, for I have sinned. What have you done, my child? Well, I did acid. Go on. I did class B drugs such as speed and ketamine. What's ketamine? It's horse tranquilizer. Why would you? Anyway. Exactly. I'm with your mom, by the way, on that one. I would have walked beside your mom and went, yeah, that's a little, that's going pretty hard to find a party. Like when you need horse tranquilizers. I turned around and I said to her, um, and I've been smoking a shitload of weed. And she goes, okay, go on. My son, I was like, okay. Did ecstasy, go on. Did cocaine, okay. Drank, uh-huh. Been buying condoms because, you know, girlfriend don't want to get her pregnant, you know, and bring you, surprise, <laughs> you're a grandmother. <laughs> she goes, go on. That's not funny. Go on. And bacon. And that's when my mother had a freak out. She went, bacon? No, safe. No, not bacon. I draw the line at bacon. And it's not, that's not fair, safe. That's not fair. Safe? No. Because, like, I think the other ones, she thought that maybe I was joking with her. Like, yo, I've done cocaine. And she's like thinking, what, like from Scarface? You know, like she didn't question any, it was the bacon that was the final straw that broke the camel's back. But after that day, I stopped doing all that shit, you know, even bacon. How come I pizza. don't believe you, Safe? I, don't I honestly believe I stopped, that you I stopped eating stop. bacon. I'm pretty sure if you showed up in my kitchen and yeah. I said, I've got a big ass line of cocaine, you wouldn't go. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've got to get to the mosque tomorrow. <laughs> I need my sleep. Safe, no, <laughs> come on, man. But that's, that's hilarious. The but that's the thing. Honest to God, honest to Betsy, from 2004, I literally stopped all that. The only thing I continued to do is just smoke. You know, I literally gave it all up. So it felt like a really existential crisis type thing. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take a break from all the all the whatever and just keep smoking because you know god put this plant on the planet you know for a reason oh i agree man god so also put cocaine on the planet for a reason god also put heroin on the planet for a reason if you believe in god or it could just be we're all here to have a good time on party planet <laughs> <laughs> yeah man to me safe 
this is like that Star Trek episode where Riker gets to go to fucking uh, the planet of enjoyment. He goes to this planet where it's just all about fun. And that's how I see all of this stuff, man. Because in the end, none of what you did, none of what you believe in is going to fucking matter, man. What's going to matter is what you chose not to do with which what you wished you would have done. That is the only thing that is going to matter because you had one life and then you picked a side. And as soon as you pick the side, you got to follow their rules. As soon as you follow their rules, you're fucked because you're not following your own rules. And your own rules are the funnest because you can change them and make them up as you go along, man. That's the best religion ever. But each to their own, safe. Each to their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each to their own. Whatever they want to do, I'm not here. Again, if that's your thing, that is your thing. You do it however you want, man. You know, you're old enough that we're both sort of in the same age category. And I'm sure you remember and recall, like, back in the 80s and in the 90s, you could always... The best years ever. But Yeah, exactly. But you could always, like, if ever you got into, like, if you were at a bar a taverna, a restaurant, a social gathering, and you start to get heated in a conversation like two people have an opposing view, you could suddenly reach that point and one person could just suddenly draw the ultimate, let's just forget about it, is the let's agree to disagree. Yeah. There was a time when that the, when you would hear that sentence, it was the verbal wrestling equivalent of, I tap, you know, uncle, but like in a civil way of not getting aggressive, let's just agree to disagree. There's actually a line in the Quran, which basically says, Lekum dinukum which means you have your religion, your belief, your views, and we have ours, which is like yeah. essentially Quranic verse just saying, look, 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 I'm not trying to come here and say, you must believe, you know, and just don't do the same to me. And the- I disagree with that. Would you be? I totally disagree with that. Like, if I go, if I, if you get real, okay, okay, fuck it, fuck it, I'm gonna say it. If yeah, you get on. really into religion, you become a righteous asshole. You become Aww. a righteous asshole, and you force your opinions on everybody. You just do. Every religion does it. Muslim, Catholic, all of them. As soon as you get, sure. go to the, okay, go to the southern state, go down there. You uh-huh. tell me that they're not going to try to convert you, you're out of your fucking mind. And I'll tell you something else. When you go down, when you're in a, a Afghanistan and Iraq, and they better be reminded of the quote that you just said, man, because there are people that have to run away from that religion. It's sort of like a gang. There was one Muslim guy that I really liked that was in a, seminar in Saudi Arabia and I don't know if he's still alive or not because of what he said he couldn't understand why the Sunnis and Shiites can't seem to get along in Arab countries but as soon as the Sunnis and Shiites go to England or America they get along just fine man and it's a it's a really weird ass thing but I understood what he was saying yeah, he no, was like, I, and he goes, he couldn't understand why they couldn't do that in their own countries, man. But I know, I know so many people that are, I'm just going to say religious in the, in the way that it's very hard to get out of it. And not just because of the thing, because of your family. 
you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. your family, like how many girls wanted to marry an Australian and their family fucking bear? I'm pretty sure some of them even got killed. You know what I mean? Like that's how deep and yeah, crazy well, that shit yeah, gets, but you know? Yeah. But I'm not saying, I'm not saying all either. Point is, <laughs> love you. But you got to let some other monkey punches have a word to dance to say something. Now, the thing yeah, I wanted to say, my mom told me this really dark joke that was doing the rounds on WhatsApp among her friends in northern Iraq under ISIL or ISIS territory. There's like an ISIS checkpoint and a Christian couple are in their car driving, come to this ISIS checkpoint. And the guy says, roll down your window. So he rolls down the window and he goes, are you Muslim? He goes, of course. Tell me a passage from the Quran. And he goes, all right. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy kingdom come, thy rod, thy staff. Amen. And he goes, okay, you can go. As they're driving, the wife turns, says to her husband, are you crazy? You totally just read something from the Bible to him. And then, and then he just said, what, you think they're Muslim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the beauty is my mother had a dark sense of humor. She raised me up in Britain, but she also did her best to raise me as a Muslim. She failed in some aspects. She succeeded in others. I'm not, you know, Quran and Bible thumping you on the sides of your temples. But I'll just say sometimes there's just so much that the world crushes down on you that every now and then every individual just needs to have the belief that we don't just end up worm food, that we don't just end up being recycled in Soylent Green you know, turn You're into right, a ring. We're just a speck of dust that means something. In the cosmos. I find the alternative very comforting, though. The, fact the alternative that it all is... ultimately means nothing. And wait a second. No. I want to go back to what I was yeah. saying. It was safe. I know tons of great Muslim people. What I'm saying is if you get so deep into that, that's when you lose perspective of what's going on around you. That's all I'm saying. Safe, I just don't like when it gets too much. Absolutely. Because, because faith, again, faith is, faith is so personal. It that's is. That's the thing that they don't get. Mm. I'll come to my own conclusions on what's going on and you come to yours. That's all I've ever said. But as soon as you're like knocking on my door, oh no, I've, I've heard what you said. I'm just not buying it. So could you take me off your fucking list, please? Quit God cold calling me for fuck's sake. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing I find about faith, is like trying to explain what chocolate is without using yeah. the word chocolate. It's damn near impossible, you know, like, yeah, of course, there's a long cryptic way, but it's going to be a mind bend. But the traditional man in the clouds and hell being underneath us, imagine like some tunnel guys are digging a tunnel and then all of a sudden it's fire, brimstone and demons are like, oh, this is awkward. <laughs> Here. How far have you been digging? Well, do you have a reservation? Like, Look him up in the book. Oh, oh, you're just coming in. You didn't make a reservation for fuck's sake. You can't just walk into hell. And you're still breathing. That's remarkable. <laughs> That's I've remarkable. Never met a, I've never met a real human being before. You know, I didn't recognize you with your skin on. <laughs> yeah, that's too big of a question. I'm going with worm food. Many a year on my MySpace page, I used to write the secret to happiness is peanut butter, honey sandwiches. So moving Ooh. on. To the, yes, I think that. But the worst, I, you know what hell on earth is, is being stoned and not having good munchies. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll throw that. Agreed, everyone. Yeah, throw that into the agreed. I'm going to agree to we agree. All agree. Before we segue into our next question, I would segue. just love to say. There's a natural segue to that. <laughs> that used to be Barry Sobel's big punchline. I don't know if you remember Barry Sobel, man. The name does ring a bell, but I'm not as. It was in Punchlines, the I'm movie Punchlines. It was really big in the late 80s. He came down to Punchlines in Vancouver, man. It was the first time I really saw a big famous comedian. Fucking, but I was not even a comedian, just watching it. Fucking, it was amazing. Barry Sobel, that's my segue. <laughs> Whatever. <it is. laughs> Come fucking, uh, segues. Segway. I would segway. just love to say. There's a natural segue to that. <laughs> Comedians and creatives up. often get the chance to partake in some deeply creative, highly collaborative, and often outside of the box projects. One of my current favorites being Muff. How did something like that manifest? Tell us the story of this. Okay, that started off with little Danny Sloss. Now, I know whoever's watching this is going, what the netflix danny sloss the guy that helped people divorce each other but dan was he was just a kid and we used to write together a lot before he became all awesome but he was always going to be awesome there's just certain people i come across in my life that i know this guy's got the drive he's got everything he's got the whole fucking package and that's what danny had and dan said we sh it was really him and a guy named kai humphreys man we know and kai. yeah of course we know kai they came over and they said they wanted to do we wanted to do a whole sitcom like a whole series in 30 days Believe it or not, I was the most famous at that time. <laughs> so I was the profile guy. So I thought, well, that's something that's never been done before. I don't know if it's ever been done. And we decided to crowdfund it. So we got a shitload of money and promised everybody muff cups and muff things. I don't know if they ever got them or not. Maybe we lied. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking just or, like or, pulled or the or Donald if... Trump and stole their money. <laughs> Thanks. Or but, some guy uh, sitting in a warehouse with all these muff cups and muff everything <laughs> and just the cigar going, ah, that was a good scam. Oh, it was awesome, man. So me, Dan, I, I think Dan doesn't even like it anymore, somebody told me, man. He, but I think that just oh. comes with becoming a bigger star. I don't, I, I don't know. But I, I still think it's a really great piece for what it is. And I it's love so it. funny because... I don't think people realize that when you watch Muff, when you watch it mm. and you pertain it to what's going on nowadays, it's yeah. pretty fucking relevant right down to my character hating Mexicans. It was really weird because the guy I played was pretty much Donald Trump, man. JP was I, I, just this freewheeling fucking do whatever the fuck I feel like. And how, how he manipulates throughout the show this kid that has this naive idea of what the world should be, and then the world comes crashing down on him in such a funny way, so ridiculously funny. We wrote that shit on the fly, and I can't tell you, that just shows how talented a guy like Danny and Kai are. They're, they're one of the best comedy teams I can think of. And when I mean team, they're 
they've just been like that ever since mm. I can remember. And then we, we did that. And it was really funny because we thought, we thought, oh, we're going to do this and everybody's going to watch it. I mean, we've got eight, uh, whatever, thousand followers. They'll all watch it. And then when it finally came out, nobody watched it. It was like, it was like we did this really great thing thinking it was a real lesson learned in thinking that if you've got all these followers that they're so into you, but they're not so into you. They just, they follow you on a whim because you get too high thinking that you're bigger than your audience. And it, you know what I mean? And it was a real lesson learned that day. But it was such a fun little project to do. And especially, it's one of those things that when you do look back on it, you think that's maybe not what you would do now. But for the time, mm. it was just such a fucking, there was no yeah. reason to do it. But we did it anyways, just to say that we did it. And now it's out there in the ether still. And, and I think it's not like we were sitting there going, oh, yeah, we casted all the best actors. It was like De Niro, like, you know, like the acting is supposed to be shitty. Do you know what I mean? It was supposed right. to be all those things. Wayne Mazadza, my fucking, my, my co-partner, my black co-partner, <laughs> who he was just a bartender slash comedian taking up the role because we had to do something in 30 days. And it was just sort of like, Anyone Last who showed minute. up, we would give a role to. And it was more about the storyline than it was that. But every time I watch it back, it still makes me laugh. It is funny. I, There's no fucking I watched, doubt about it. I watched episode one just last night. I yeah. pissed my pants. I loved it. Oh, when the censorship like, brigade comes up is one of my favorites. I when we bring to, in I, the censor brigade, it's don't, hilarious. Don't spoil it. because like, Oh, I, you're going to love them, man. You're going to love them. Each I, episode talks about what is actually going on right now, right down to the zombie apocalypse. I, I saw it come back up because you had originally sent me the link for it. But then about a month or two ago, because I'm part of Kai's Twitch community, they've now got a short command for it and they pop up the Muff episodes in the chat. So everybody, it's recircled through all of that in like the last month or oh, two great. as well. It was really That's... nice to see it because then I just went through and watched it all again. <laughs> I'm too old for Twitch. Fuck that shit. You're I get it. Old? I get it. But he told me that people watch him working on a farm or something like that. He's... For me, this all started because it was a group of people that were all talking about how we were getting Nothing. through lockdown. Kai was knitting. I think it all... You don't have to suck a cock to be gay, Kai. Just get me that fucking sweater. Get me well, that toque. I think it started when Daniel and uh, Kai started doing knitting while they were on the road because they were always trying to, like, they, they dared each other. They were going to, like, knit each other a jumper or something. No, some chick, some chick showed them how to do it on a train and they just took off with it, man, for while they were on tour. Yeah. Their tour was getting too crazy, man. Their tour was getting just, I mean, my tour schedule is hectic, but I can't even imagine. They went to like Lithuania and go all these crazy ass fucking countries that they're famous because of the Netflix shit, man. So their tour schedule, I, I, I can't even fathom it, man. I can't even, I don't know how they would have, I would have went mental 
number one, I would have been drunk in foreign country. I probably would have went to jail. To me, those two are, they're like a couple. They're, I know they've got girlfriends and wives, but I think they're really dating each other. Oh. <laughs> like, which is probably the best relationship they've ever had. I've got a lot of love for those two, man. And then they came up with the idea, and we all sat around and wrote the motherfucker, and it was wicked. It was really wicked. It's something that I still love to this day, man. I'll, I'll flick it on and watch it every now and then. I think Danny and Kai have, have flown the coop, man. They're they're like all the, all the dudes that happened for. I mean, all these things that they did, all these things that you do, you had to do them to get to where you are now, man. You know what I mean by that? I like do. You may look back and not be embarrassed by it, but if you didn't do it, you wouldn't be where you are now. Funny thing about, you know, I'm possibly the only Arab that's done naked stand-up comedy because of Paul Provenza suggesting I should do it. Yeah, and I, man. And I, yeah, look at you with that big grin imagining a big-ass fat naked me with a guitar. And I'm sad I missed it. <laughs> but I will say that you don't strike me as someone who's hit the brick wall of creativity. Is there a shareable secret that you can pass on to help others overcome their creator's block? Yeah, I can actually. I can totally do that. On. The one thing is don't plan for inspiration, Matt. I know too many people that sit down and say, I'm going to write today. I'm going to write today. I'm going to do this. Writing comes when you're walking your dog. Writing comes when you're smoking a joint and having a coffee. What I will say is just have a pen and paper around for when it does strike you. Yeah. But if you if you sit there and are are going to get all corporate about comedy and sit down and go, I'm going to take two hours to write a great show. Well, that just ain't fucking happening, man. And whatever it is, it won't be great because it it's forced and it doesn't come from that moment that you go, oh my God, that's such a funny idea. <laughs> Weird that I fucking thought of it while I'm taking a shit at a moto. You know, like, like, like I just created an Edinburgh show while I was unleashing a dump after having a Greg steak bake. Do you know what I mean? I've been and there. I think, I've I think been most there. people, I think most people put too much pressure on themselves for me, it was a chicken create bait. the next best show. And I've never, I mean, I, I pressure myself. I got a little bit of that because I always know next year's coming, but you know, the inspiration shows up and once it does show up, you know, then, then, then that's your session, but you just never know when that's going to happen. But every time I get inspired, that's when I'll start writing for an hour or, or however long that inspiration lasts. But I'll never, never, never sit down and go, okay, I'm writing comedy today. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's a real, it's a real, yeah. it's a real thing because you, the problem is, is that there, I think we were saying this, the, the competition's gotten so much harder that you feel like you have to keep up. And when you feel like you have to keep up, you, you push yourself a little too fucking hard instead of letting it just come in, you know? Dude. And when I you push yourself a little too hard, it, it, that's when your writer's block comes because you get frustrated that you can't think of something fucking funny, you know, like, or everything that you think is funny turns out to be kind of phony because you're forcing it and there's not really any truth in it. 
because it just didn't come to you, man. And that's that's where I think a lot of, in my opinion, again, you know, there may be dudes that, Tom, shut up, man. I write every day. <laughs> that's where my inspiration comes from, you hippie fuck. For me, for me, it's just, it, it, it always comes at the weirdest fucking time. I don't know if I should mute myself. It's true, though, man. Sean Locke's one. I remember him telling me he's got an office. Mm-hmm. I'm like, an office? But like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, I go to my you just office say Sean and Locke? I write jokes. That sounds yeah, like a writer. Yeah, we were... No, yeah, he does, man. But he's like one of the guys on... Forty thousand uh, leagues out of the moon. One of those Sean ones, Locke. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Sean Locke. But he would. Yeah, he told me, and I was like, "I'm fucking." That sounds too much like a real job to me, man. Quick question: Does because like Locke sounds like it's spelled L-O-C-K-E? Yeah, I think that's, that's how. That's totally it's a writer's name. name. That's totally like you'd expect it to be like you know, coming this winter, the new murder mystery writer Sean Locke brings you, gun in a pocket. <laughs> You know what? I don't think you're that far off. But this writer got pretty fucking famous. <laughs> uh, forgive me. I, I live in the Middle East nearly like, you know, okay, I, my TV hasn't worked since April because of the whole COVID insania thing. But like, um, I will say this, like, I've had many different people, comedians, fellow comedians, like I had one comedian on, I highly suggest you listen to episode four, the one who's the psychiatrist. It will give okay. you therapy without you realizing it. Um, okay. And I asked him, you know, more or less, it's like always a running theme of the of the show, the show with no name. I ask them, how do you overcome the creator's block? And I know for a fact that you are like this bottomless wellspring, never ending of creativity. And I believe that, you know, improv is sometimes like, you know, that's like, that's why set list was so phenomenal when you did it when i did it and it just it and it unlocks parts of your brain that don't think that way so you don't and the reason why i'm getting all like emotional is because like my mom for like 17 years of my comedy career while she was alive she never saw me perform live because she doesn't like to go out at night and she would always say i don't like i don't go out at night if you know this and um but she would often like i would like she became a soundboard for a lot of my material she became like my wingman my comedy buddy on oh, like that's how, cool. oh it gets better when i was a teacher in a private school and i was trying to do market research because i needed something to help like it was part of the gag i was writing this gag about satanic cats that perform abortions you know at night uh, it's a great joke you stole that I did not. No, <laughs> I did not. Trust me, when you Nobody see it, I wrote didn't. a satanic cat. <laughs> so anyway, said, so the market, came up to so, you and go, hey, you know, I do a satanic cat bit too, man. Hold on. Yeah, well, they haven't done it like I did because there's a beautiful backstory to this, which is I would ask students and teachers random names of cutting devices. The grade 10s and 11s, I told them the first word is ovarian. And so one student said ovarian corkscrew. Another yeah. student said ovarian screwdriver. And they were coming up with different, like ovarian cleaver, ovarian coat hanger, ovarian this, whatever. And I was talking to my mom on the phone. I was like, mom, I'm writing this joke. 
about like satanic caste that perform abortions. And she started to giggle and laugh as she heard this, the sounding board idea of it. And I started to read to her like all the market research, like all the different, like I had like 38 names, like 38 different objects, everything that was to do with cutting. And then my mother just like, I read them all to her patiently like mothers do. She just goes, what's that device that doctors use in surgery? And I said, scalpel, scalpel. So it became ovarian scalpel. And it was like this joke where involving the cats performing an abortion with an ovarian scalpel, scalpel. as they do. Um, as they do, of course. As they do, because like in Egypt, it happens. Um, and like, I, I, you know, like she became, she proved to be it's that. It's definitely a back alley one, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, that, well, homeless that's, cat ripping a baby <laughs> like, exactly see this is what i'm talking about you're like like you can on your foot and that's the thing that's the joy of improv i always felt like and that's what i was really happy that you agreed to do this podcast because we think alike tom we think alike you and i yeah man safe but i i i like to say it bluntly, I like comedians, man. And like, I'm pretty sure most, although in these times, comedians seem to be very divided, but before I just, there's something about a, a hanging out in a green room with mm. people that are willing to let their minds go anywhere that really attracts me. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That there's no, there's no moral judgment with whatever thought you have. And not only that, I've never been in a fucking room where I've told a joke about cats, satanic cats giving abortions, where a comedian would go, ooh, that's fucking gross. <laughs> Comedians would go, that's fabulous. Here's how it should be done. <laughs> they gotta, you know, fucking, they gotta, they gotta, their claws are an ovarian scalpel. Or whatever, man. They'll always one up whatever you're going to say. And safe, you have such a beautiful passion for comedy. You you love you and I know you love it. I know you love to dissect it, figure it out, fucking why it makes people laugh. And that's one of the beauty parts of being a comedian. And you have to have that kind of passion and you have it in spades, safe. You have it in spades, man, easy. And that's why you're such a well-liked man around the circuit too, because you're always, you're always, you're never, you're never a downer in any way. And, and it's just, you can always tell the people that love it and, and just, you know, can't get enough of it. And you're just one of them safe. Um. As he fucking faggily smokes his vape. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a vape. I would love to get it up and running again, but only if I could get THC oil. Um, oh, I've got two vapes. No, I've I got meant like this vape, and then I got the fun vape. <laughs> I'm smoking London pound cake. Right on. And Candy listeners, land. I have nothing. I feel like that guy in history of the world. Nothing. I have yeah. nothing for sale. 
Yeah, it's great, man. I love what they've done with weed. I, you know, the one thing I really am hoping for with Brexit is that they legalize it here. That's something because the U- UK loves money, and and, and they love smoking, yeah, and they're they're going to be in quite a financial pickle. So <laughs> if I know if I know Maybe. my drugs, uh, that might you know if you legalize weed. The whole stoner community will come to your economic rescue. It's a cash cow for sure. It is. It is a cash cow. If they legalize it, they regulate it, and then they monetize it for the government. They, it, the amount yeah. of money they would make is is astounding. The entire works for me, nation. works for you. Good. Let's do that. That's a plan. Yeah. Come on, yeah, that sounds great. Give me a reason to vote for you. <laughs> you can have your money. I'll take my weed. I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're cool. It's called a the transaction. Island. <laughs> the <laughs> island of Britain, the island of Britain would have a much, much, much nicer time if Bojo Boris Johnson came out and said, "On the twentieth of April, four twenty this year, right after much deliberation due to the economic cruelties of the Brexit deal, we have decided to, in fact, legalize cannabis, and <laughs> it is now." duty bound with an 11% increment of tax and you can now smoke in the streets legally or in your own homes. We'd all Somebody be like, perfect. just got my vote. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, an issue I Later care Later on about. in May and the Tories have won with a landslide. <laughs> <laughs> Look, how uh, fucking stoners don't normally come out to vote. I thought, <laughs> I thought Tories only did cocaine. No, 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 they evolved. <laughs> Finally, we thought opium was good, but it met, led one to it led to one of our ministers. This is my theory. It led to one of our ministers becoming Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally, man. Um, yeah. So you know that Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde was written by George Louis Stevenson, and he wrote it after a two-week-long binge of cocaine and that was back in the yep. day when he could just either go to the pharmacy every day and just go same again please <laughs> now my good man thank now. you sir you, you know like, or, it could be, or it could be him coming in on a monday going i shall be taking uh three kilograms of your finest bolivian cut cocaine is it for recreational or physical use bit of both Right, you are. <laughs> Here is your well, three kilograms. Of course, maybe no, it would be we'll like get to that three. utopia one day, my man. <laughs> maybe we'll get to that utopia. Mason said it the best. My son said it the best. Okay, and then I'll fucking figure out what to do. But my he goes because everybody right now is either uh, uh, on to their theories. I don't want to use conspiracy. I hate that word now. Uh, they have theories about what might be going on. You know, they're just theories and they Everyone's could be true, could be not. Yeah. Or you buy into whatever they're saying. But Mason said it to me where it was sort of an offhand comment, but I thought it was really good. He goes, there's such a fine line between utopia and dystopia. And you yeah. won't know right until the very last second. To me... I hope that all this shit turns into utopia 
you know what I mean? But we got to be on this ride right now. And, and maybe all this shit is, is just there. It has to happen just like Muff had to happen. So Danny could be a Netflix star or whatever. All the shit has to happen, but we we're not going to know right until the end point. So I'm, I'm sitting there now going, that's what it is, dude. That's where we're at in this little world and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, 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 but doing things like this and talking to friends and all that sort of stuff that never goes away. So even in a dystopia or a utopia, we're always going to be friends, my man. There's always going to be friends in either. Yeah. And also, you know, it's a fine line between creative genius and insanity. Yep. I'm heading towards insanity myself. I'm tired of being the creative genius. I want to go insane. Uh, trust me, it's, it's it's it doesn't get a fair rep in court. That's the only problem, and I can yeah. tell you from experience. Tom, we usually wrap up the show with a section called Shameless Plug, but uh, I know you've told Julia that you're a bit comedy adjacent. Don't know what that means myself mm-hmm. right now, but uh, what you got going on, eh? Where should we send our listeners, eh? Hmm. Just... Uh... Keep uh, keep in touch on a website. I've got a tomstade.com. I think that's what it is. Website. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a podcast. We're gonna we're we're, we're starting that shit. We've never done that before. But that like a lot of great ideas I have could fizzle out at any time. So I'm not promising anything. Uh, other than that, man, you know, yeah. like I, you know where to find me. If you really want to find me, I'm not that fucking hard to find. That's that's the easiest way to do it, you know. So me know where I am. The people that hate me know where I am. <laughs> so, come on, either terms, man. Just come with an ounce of weed. Yeah, yeah, and I'll smoke it with you, baby. Hoping to keep this podcast going all year long, every week, and upload. So I would definitely, most likely, have you again where we don't have okay, questions. Okay, anytime. We just have answers to our happiness. See okay. where we're at. Like, you I'm know, in, three safe. months. You know now. that. I'm uh, in. Julia, so, do you, uh, so all your information is going to be on the episode's description. Uh, Julia, did you have okay. any last things you wanted to say to? Tom fucking stayed before we let him Tom go. Tom fucking stayed. <laughs> Tom, Tom fucking, fucking stayed. stayed. Yeah, we're all good, man. <laughs> I'm like, fucking, I have no... The one thing about showbiz, you have no control on how everybody thinks about you. <laughs> that is a definite... Dude, you know, I tell everyone the joke of yours. Too. Whenever I say, you know, Tom stayed and they go, Tom who? I say, Tom fucking stayed, you know, like... The guy who did the, you know, Great Wall of China, that's not a great wall. <laughs> I got a wall next to my classics. House. You can smoke a fucking joint and the cops don't see you. That's a great fucking wall. That's a great fucking wall, man. <laughs> There's this wall by my place where you can smoke a joint and the cops can't see it from the road. That's a great fucking wall. It's my favorite wall. I can see me smoking a joint from space on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> <Space cops. laughs> 
Okay. I was going to start Space Force, you know. I was going to I was gonna make a Space Force. But then, you know, I decided I wanted to prove everyone that you don't need to wear a mask. <laughs> don't and Trump. I caught I'm going to miss knew? him. <laughs> I'm going to miss that guy. He was so entertaining. I wish George Carlin was around, man. He would have had a field day with Donald Trump. Trump, think, you know. He would have, he George really would have, man. He, well, he got it right, man, when he said, I'm just watching all this shit. I ain't getting involved. You know, like, if, if you were watching it as a movie, man, it'd be hilarious. Somebody coming yes. back, what, what did I miss? There was, there, was, there, there was a riot at the Capitol building. No way! You shut me out for popcorn! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible, man. Now, now, so what's Donald doing? He's not answering anybody. It's really exciting. Don't talk to them, Donnie. Don't talk to them. I'm the root for the villain. I'm a villain rooter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it, man. I can't wait to see it. Okay. You got anger and guns. Congratulations. So you guys scary. are the best show in town. I You're live, I live show right in town. It's terrifying. It's oh, so God. Scary. Of course it is. Of course it is, man. You got there. There's just so. It's also absurd. It's also absurd because I don't have faith that. I don't have faith that's any that anything's going to be done about it. I feel like this is no. just going to be swept no, under the rug. Again, no, 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 no. I got to pause. You, you guys got to check out on Twitter, hashtag no fly list. Martin Moore was the one who put me on to that. You know, I, like you, avoid Facebook because it's just a toxic cesspit of net. You know that bit when Ben Kenobi goes, Moss Eisley, you will never find a more wretched place of viability. You know, yeah. you, you can imagine Ben Kenobi coming back from the grave going, Facebook, you'll never find a more vile face with vile humanity and trolling. Makes people angry now. Used to be this for is not friends. the post you're looking for. Yeah. I go on but, there every now and then now and just rant a little bit, but that's about it. I don't care. But that's the point. Martin Moore, he posted, he was just like going, if you're having a grumpy day, go on Twitter and see hashtag no fly list and i started going through and there was this one video i even sent it to julia i'll send it to you after this uh, after we've done recording and it's exactly. basically it's they've taken the piano from goodfellas you know the, the oh i one. saw that i think i think the delta airlines is going to incite more violence than donald trump ever did <laughs> let those people go all <laughs> Like proper I man. Laugh. I was like, so 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 you're not letting them on a plane. They're angry, and you're not letting them on a plane to go home. Yeah, okay, good luck. Have a good time. Like fucking shun. Here's what you should do too: shame them, make them feel bad about their ideas. Why don't you just do what we said earlier on in the podcast? Let's just agree to disagree. Get on the flight. Go home. Perfect. Done. No, no, you're going to fucking villainize these people, back them into a corner, and they're going to come out shooting. You're in a lot of trouble, man. But the, 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 you know that movie? I can't remember what it was, but it was um, it was with uh, not Ben Aff Matt Damon, and they, it was yeah. a movie about fracking. They were yes. going to come into a town, and then, but you got to realize that, that to me, the same company is the villain and the hero. 
doesn't matter. They need Donald Trump to get to where they need, and Donald Trump needs them to get to where he needs. And fucking, the more they villainize his people, he knows. He knows every time CNN calls them assholes or CNN calls them fucking terror domestic terrorists. Domestic terrorists. Like. Yeah, they're gonna. They, you should just, you know, you should just go. Yeah, you're mad. Okay. Does cool. it feel like? Do you do you feel like? That's the, it. <laughs> then walk away, man. But no, you gotta go, poop, 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 poop. My mom. <laughs> Here come the FBI. Mom. They're gonna bomb fifty buildings. Poop, 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 poop. Way to give them an idea. <laughs> There's a list. <laughs> yeah, you're right. All the other buildings aren't guarded. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never thought about that until you told me. You know, the weird thing is my mom, years ago, she used to have this wood engraving that had Abraham Lincoln on it. And it had this speech about that he gave, I think, in Illinois. And it was all about like how even if all the different countries out, like I'm paraphrasing, obviously. You know, I, if I, you know, he didn't speak like me, but in my accent or in his accent, you know, uh, if all the countries all over the world joined together and tried to take America down, they wouldn't succeed. But the downfall of America would definitely, most definitely, come from within. Yeah, like that's that why the Constitution. Read a little Lord Acton, then you'll figure out why the Constitution was written. It's the strongest Constitution us human beings have ever written. And it's the first time wasn't, a demagogue has shown up to challenge it. Wasn't Lord Acton the one who also said everything in life should be tried once except incest and folk dancing? Probably. Sounds about right. <laughs> Damn, that incest thing. Fuck, I would have told you. Wish you <laughs> would have told dancing. me that sooner. Neck and neck. <laughs> Morris dancing and incest. The same well, book. <laughs> oh, God. I knew, I'm, I'm an old man with an apology. Husband. Incest, same thing, neck and neck, brother and sister, mother. <laughs> yeah, man. So, in an orgy, anyway, let's pull the whole thing off. Um, yeah, good luck out there. You know, that's all. The world's <laughs> changing. It's the same. It's like uh, this is how I liken it. I'll tell you this. This is how I liken it. It's like a, a soldier from Vietnam who was really good in Vietnam gets sent to Iraq, but he still thinks it's Vietnam. <laughs> he's gonna die yeah so all these people that that want the world to go back to normal they're not seeing their new environment to be able to maneuver in it yeah. that's that's crazy to me and they're fighting to keep the old world alive that's what all the so you had on our show today we had uh the lovely marvelous mr tom fucking stayed brilliant comedian creative genius young at heart old soul multiple levels of genius creative genius and definitely comedy royalty though he tries to downplay it like you know like he's trying to abdicate <laughs> the throne but i do declare you flatter me so i am so honored <laughs> uh no the honor is all mine tom seriously the oh. honor is is all fucking mine um, cheers guys You've been a marvelous host. Uh, that's going to be Tom Stayed. And I'll say, Julia, if you'd like to say goodbye to our listeners for this episode. Bye, guys. <laughs> there we go. So <laughs> nice and informal. Everybody. 
The sh- oh, yeah, the, sh- the show with no name, informal. Anything goes. Uh, peace be upon you, Namaste, and all that jazz. Cool, man. Big love to you guys. Okay, stay. Have a just fucking good luck out there. Yeah, just good, good luck. Stay alive. Good luck. <laughs> Survive. All right. Next time I see so- you, I'll have a cuffed foot on my face. All right. <laughs> <laughs>